Welcome to Solder Smoke, a podcast about wireless technology. We talk about everything from old-time crystal radios to modern digital satellites. We form a global brotherhood bound together by a common desire to understand, repair, design, and build our own electronic equipment, and by a willingness to help each other in our efforts to master radio technology. All are welcome. Now, please join us in the solder smoke. This episode of Solder Smoke is brought to you by SMT Solutions. Check out their website, www.smt-solutions.net. Okay, let's see. It's Saturday, September 10th, 2011. And this is Solder Smoke 137. Hey, uh, glad to have this opportunity to catch up. You know, the uh, they've left me home alone today. It's Saturday. The kids are at a birthday party. My wife is um, over in D.C. with uh, with her mom, visiting gardens and uh, and stores and things like that. And I am left alone here in the shack, and it's a good thing I have the Solder Smoke podcast to keep me out of trouble. A lot of a lot of trouble here lately. I'm sure that you guys have been following it on the news. All of our um, difficult weather and natural disasters uh, since we spoke, we have uh, suffered one hurricane, one tropical storm, and one uh, 5.9 earthquake. It's been quite the summer. Uh, the kids have found it extremely exciting. It all started with the uh, the earthquake. We uh, Everybody's got their earthquake stories. Those who don't um, feel what I'm told is uh, called earthquake envy. But we have our story. We were at the swimming pool. I had taken that day off just to hang out with the kids during summer vacation And um, the three of us, Maria, Billy, and I, jumped on our bikes and went to the local swimming pool. And we had a nice swim. It was a beautiful day. And we were out of the pool at poolside, um, putting our shoes on, getting ready for a a bike ride into town when things really started rocking and rolling. I'm telling you, it was, uh, I know know the Californians are all snickering at us, saying that this was no big deal and 5.9 is nothing and all that stuff. But let me tell you. It was really moving here, and I understand it's because we have a different quality, a different kind of uh, geological formation. Apparently, the rocks are um, really kind of old and cold, as they put it, and so when something moves, it, it moves for quite some distance. I think the epicenter was probably 100 miles to our southwest, um, but man, I'm telling you, it really shook us up. Just sitting there outside, and it, it made a lot of noise. It it kind of caused the pool to slosh around and the, the, the chain link fence behind us was rattling. And of course the locals here don't have much experience with this. And the lifeguard looked at me and said, what the heck was that? And I had to let her know, uh, well, that was, uh, that was an earthquake. <laughs> you know, it didn't, our, our kids are used to it. They didn't, didn't, didn't bother them a bit. And, um, as soon as the quake was over, they said, okay, let's get on the bikes and, uh, head to the Seven Eleven to get a Slurpee. Um, no real, uh, no real damage here for us. Uh, we got home and there was all kinds of stuff that had fallen over. Uh, Maria's ET doll, which I have up on top of the shelf here, um, took a nosedive off the shelf, so ET was on the floor. Um, pictures were moved around. Things were just generally jostled around a bit here in the house. We suffered some earthquake damage a few days later. When I tried to find, I was looking for something, and I uh, opened up one of the um, cabinets holding. Uh, my wife's uh, fine china from Portugal, 
and wouldn't you know that those uh, some of those dishes had shifted around a bit and were leaning up the leaning up against the door waiting for me to open it and uh, I managed to break three of them I of course blamed it on mother nature I had nothing to do with it so uh, I didn't get into too much trouble for that now then we had um, Hurricane Irene and I know this caused a lot of trouble further north the poor people in Vermont I was thinking about our friend Mike AA1TJ uh, but here in Virginia it was uh, much ado about nothing it came and it went it knocked the power out for uh, a few hours for us but uh, really pretty uneventful not even a whole lot of wind um, not too much rain it wasn't that bad uh, the latest natural disaster um, which is tropical storm or tropical depression lee this is the one that came up out of the gulf and uh, never i don't think it ever really attained hurricane status but Man, a lot of water, and that was all this week. It rained for about five days straight here. We're not used to it. And so we had a lot of flooding, uh, a lot of water damage. And I'm proud to report that it did not prevent me from uh, from riding my bike uh, to and from the train station. And uh, even at the uh, kind of the height of the downpour, I was out there on my bike pedaling home, I'm sure looking like a madman, but uh, <laughs> it's just a little water. But, um, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of basements flooded, a lot of things like that um, here. So uh, quite the exciting summer of, uh, of uh, natural disasters and, uh, and storms here in, uh, on the east coast of the United States. All right, I guess uh, I want to let's, let's talk enough of that. I guess, that's, I guess that takes care of the travel log segment of the show. And I'm going to step over here to the operating position. Stand by. Well, I'm going to turn something on here. You guys have very, very good hearing. I'm sure you hear that in the background. Let me turn the mic over there. Hold on. I'll leave that playing. That gentleman is a Heath Kid HW7. Not an 8. I got an 8 here. I've had a hate at 8 for a long time. I'm a big fan of the Heath Kid HW8. I've had it with me in Italy and other places. That, though, is a Heath Kid HW7, solar powered. On 40 meters, obviously CW, running off a dipole in my backyard. One of our listeners, Mike, WA3O, um, heard me talking about QRP rigs and everything else, and then just out of the uh, out of the goodness of his heart, decided to put his old HW7 in a box, in a box and send it to yours truly. And I'm extremely grateful. And I want to share with you guys some of my impressions on the much maligned Heathkit HW7. Much maligned, I think, describes this rig. You know, I've never had any experience with it before receiving the one that Mike sent me. And frankly, I had the impression that the the receiver in this rig was somewhere in the quality range of um, you know, one of those, maybe like uh, two, two, uh, two tin cans and a, and a piece of string, or maybe, maybe kind of like one of those razor blade foxhole radios, because I had heard so many reports about this thing was just totally useless and the receiver was terrible. Uh, Mike Bryce, the uh, author, I think it's WB8VGE, the esteemed author of the Heathkit HW8, the Hot Water Handbook, was quoted as saying that the receiver in the HW7, quote, Sucks canal water. That's that's <laughs> that's pretty bad. <laughs> but um, 
Listen to it. That's CW coming through the HW7. It inhales. It receives. I think it's fine. I mean, it's not as good a receiver as the HW7. It's got some problems. Um, but I've ma- I've worked many stations with it and I've had a really, really good time with it. And I've been having a lot of fun. I... Uh, I got on the I got on with the HW7. As soon as I as soon as I pulled it out of the box, I popped it up on the uh, on the operating position. It's sitting up on top of the HW8. I think I'll include this as my uh, photo for the announcement for this podcast. So if you guys want to go to the blog, you'll see a picture of the HW7 sitting up on top of the HW8. I just popped it in there and I started listening to the thing, and I really was pleasantly surprised. I found and and listen, I'd like to note also that. Uh, the one that Mike sent me is pretty much a stock HW7. None of the uh, the many mods and redesigns and reworks of the receiver have been done on this. This is the standard HW7 uh, receiver. As somebody, oh yeah, signals are coming in. Anyway, um, I started listening to it right away. I really liked it. I find the receiver is really quite stable. It seems to put out a bit more audio. Than the than the HW8. I'm I'm playing mine right now just into a little Radio Shack speaker. This is not amplified. This is not into the cans or anything. It's driving a little eight ohm speaker, and it's doing just fine. It's um, it's broader than the HW8. The HW8 has the active uh, audio filters in there that tighten it up quite a bit, and that's that's good for CW, of course, but. I occasionally like to tune this thing up when I have it on and just go up a little bit higher up in the band and listen to some of the SSB chatter. And because it's broader, I mean, the HW8 is a little bit tight for that, and it actually makes it kind of difficult, I find, to listen comfortably to SSB QSOs. But the HW7 being broader sort of makes the rig kind of double as a as a pretty good kind of just listening to the... Uh, SSB chatter kind of receiver. Now, all of my uh, contacts with it so far have been on on seven megacycles. I have not tried it too much on the um, on the the 20 meter band or the 15 meter band, and I suspect performance up there might not be as quite as good as I've I've been experiencing on on 40. I'm also surprised that I get very little broadcast band breakthrough. That's one of the things, one of the problems with this rig that it was notorious for uh, broadcast band breakthrough, but I'm, I'm not getting that on 40 meters. Um, yeah, I, you have to, the, the pre-selector capacitor is a bit kind of tricky and you got to play with it a little bit to get it just right. But once you do, it seems to knock down the broadcast band uh, interference uh, quite well. Now, there are a number of th- things I like about this rig. The, the receiver is, it's really simple. I mean, really, really simple stuff. It uses a 40673 dual gate MOSFET as the front end. That's pretty much it. It's got one little tuned circuit. Then it goes right to the 40673 dual gate MOSFET. You got RF from the antenna going onto one of the two gates. And you got uh, local energy, VFO energy from uh, from the VFO, of course, going, going into the other gate. And, you know, out the end you have audio. And it's got a little IC chip. The, the audio amplifier is a, a chip, and I, I, you know, of course, I, I, I regret that. <laughs> I, I, I wish it was all discrete components, but it's not. But uh, it's a really simple receiver. And that 40673, the dual gate MOSFET, I have a, a real sentimental attachment to that particular part because 
That was the part that Doug DeMoy used in the um, Barbados receiver, the barebone superhead. That was one of my uh, early triumphs in uh, in home brewing when I got that that thing going, and I I, I kind of like that part. Also, I kind of like the dual gate MOSFET. It's just because it's simple and it looks, you know, it's very simple to understand. It's very intuitive. You know, you got two gates, signals go into both of them, and uh, and they mix. There you go. Um, you know, the four hundred six seventy three does have problems though and because it's it's a it becomes what's known as a square law detector and it it will detect the uh, am broadcast band signals quite quite easily so uh, a lot of the the modifications that took place with the uh, the hw7 involved replacing that 40673 with a um, with a diode ring mixer an sbl1 or something like that but i think i'm going to leave mine the way it is I like the simplicity. I like the challenge of using a, a rig that most everybody hates. <laughs> one thing, one one mod that I did have to do is that my, when Mike sent me this uh, this rig, he had, for some reason, a knob on it from an HW9. One of those, you know, the HW9 looks different. It's got two little kind of dimples in it. And I just didn't like it. It looked it looked kind of weird. It, look, it looked like, it looked like one of those, it looked like the rig was wearing one of those kind of fake red noses that you see around Halloween. So I took that off and replaced it with a Heathkit knob. I think I, th- I think from a DX40. The color's different, but the size is the same. You'll see it in the picture what I'm talking about. But anyway, thanks thanks to Mike, WA30, for, uh, for sending that along. And uh, don't believe all the bad things you hear about the HW7. You know, a lot of guys say they couldn't make any contacts with it. Now, I suspect a couple things. One, they just might not have been, I think a lot of guys got a hold of this rig as one of their early rigs in ham radio, and maybe they just, it, maybe it's not a good idea to start out with QRP, because uh, it is a little bit more difficult to make those initial QSOs. The other thing with this thing is because it's a direct conversion receiver, you have to make sure that you're tuning on the right side of zero beat, and I think a lot of guys might have been tuning on the wrong side of zero beat, which means, of course, the other guy can't hear you. You got to tune on the upper. You got to tune above. Tune up. It's kind of hard to describe if you've never used one of these things. But the other thing is, somebody wrote in. They said that their problem with it was that the um, factory set frequency offset was uh, was improper, and and that was resulted in great difficulty in making contacts. But uh, that hasn't been the case for me. Let me see if I can find my log book here, and I can tell you who I've been talking to. All right, let's see. One of my first contact with the rig was N2AK, Mario up in New Jersey. Then a little while later, I spoke to KB3CVO in Tom in Pennsylvania. Then WB2AKP, Lou in New York. K2MMO, Mike in New York. Then a, a real real hoot was uh, WA3WAW, Bert. He called me from Uniontown, Pennsylvania. Bert's a, a solder smoke listener and uh, recognized the call. So that was, uh, that was a real thrill. Thanks for that, Bert. And then uh, K4 EWG from Georgia running a homebrew rig. And I mean, you don't, you know, you don't, that doesn't happen much, but the guy said rig here is homebrew. And that really caused me to sit up and take notice. So that was great fun with the HW7. And I, 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 again, thanks very much to Mike WA30. You know, some of the downsides of the rig, it is it is quite microphonic. You tap the cabinet. Let me see if you guys can get the sound here. Okay. Pick this up a little. 
my microphonic sound. I don't know if you can hear it. But anyway. So it's not perfect. Well, okay. Neither are we. <laughs> Let me turn it off. Speaking of perfection, the guy's been giving me grief on 40 meters about my HT37. I don't know what it is, but the last couple times I got on there, I usually have a great time. I got on there, and some guy told me today, he said, well, you're... You're all over the place. You're drifting all over, old man. It's, it's Something's terribly wrong. And I said, well, how far am I drifting? He goes, well, you've moved at least 200 hertz. <laughs> I said, geez, I'm running an Heathkit. I'm running a Helicrafters HT37. We don't know what 200 hertz is on this rig. Well, anyway, um, guys are not used to uh, some of the weird equipment that uh, solder smoke fans um, are use, using. Anyway. Next subject here, oh, just kind of a diverse, kind of a potpourri of, uh, of subjects here. Um, Billy uh, has a lot of technological interests, some similar to mine, some different. Um, and he's a big fan of uh, Popular Science magazine. And he discovered in Popular Science several articles recently describing a source for a chemical that I'm sure many of you we're looking for as science fiend teenagers. You know, we all know about the formula for gunpowder. You know, it's, uh, I think, some carbon, some charcoal, some other easy-to-get thing. And then the one thing you could never get, and the one thing we were always searching for, was saltpeter. What is that, potassium nitrate? I'm not sure. But couldn't get it, couldn't find it. You couldn't just walk into a store and say, hey, give me a big bag of saltpeter. Well, apparently... You can, <laughs> and uh, popular sci- a popular science was uh, letting its readers know of a source of this thing. What they're saying is that in uh, in most like Home Depot stores or garden supply stores, they sell this stuff, and they use it for slowly burning out tree stumps. Apparently, you get these a big drill and you drill some deep holes into the. Uh, into the tree stump and then you pour some of this stuff in it's mostly saltpeter and and then you add some kerosene and apparently the saltpeter is the oxidant and allows the kerosene to burn and after a while your your tree stump is no more um, now this is apparently not as dangerous as it sounds we don't suddenly have a, a source for gunpowder manufacturer available to 14 year old um, kind of uh, pyromaniacs out there because I think that whatever kind of gunpowder that you could develop with this formula is actually pretty slow burning stuff and produces just something that kind of kind of fizzles there kind of like one of these fourth of July um, not exploding devices but the kind of thing that shoots out kind of sparks and smoke and things like that so apparently it's not all that dangerous but then again I, I, I found a series of articles by this uh, really brilliant uh, professor from out at um, the University of Denver, Professor uh, Emeritus out there, has a great website. I have it up on the blog. If you look back a few entries back, you'll see it there. And one of the articles there that caught my eye was how all across the country um, uh, the law enforcement uh, folks have been getting quite kind of hypersensitive about anything related to chemicals or chemistry and I think chemistry sets have now pretty much been made uh, impossible to uh, acquire or to work with and there have apparently been a number of cases where 
uh, reports of the uh, the presence or uh, acquisition of saltpeter have provoked all kinds of uh, kind of um, well very extreme responses by the local authorities and the uh, uh, the professor who put this website together pointed out how kind of over the top this was. All right, over the top. I, I watched uh, two superhero movies during the course of the summer, um, and one Captain America was because. Um, Billy uh, asked me to take him and his friends to see it, and the other, the Green Hornet, uh, because it was playing on the bus that we rode back from uh, New York City on. And I must say, I like the Green Hornet better. If you guys are being forced to watch a a superhero movie, I would opt for the Green Hornet only because uh, Cato, the the trusted sidekick of the Green Hornet, is definitely has the knack. He uh, uh, he's presented as this um, technical wizard, but unlike most technical wizards, he is presented as a cool technical wizard, kind of a a modern successful geek who uh, has some success uh, with the ladies. Okay, so it kind of kind of um, increases the prestige of uh, of technical geeks, and he ex- actually he comes across as a far more uh, appealing character than uh, than his, uh, his his superhero um, the superhero protagonist the Green Hornet Captain America I don't know Captain America never really for me never really got going kind of a kind of a nice idea but um, I don't know it was kind of kind of goofy I thought anyway that's my opinion now moving along here back to the world of ham radio the Drake two B's the Count. You know, this, I guess, is related to Captain America, World War II and all that. But um, we were discussing how many Drake 2Bs there are. And uh, we were told that it's possible to determine the the number of Drake 2Bs by using a, a statistical technique during World War II by which allied mathematicians were able to determine how many of a, a certain type of German tank were manufactured based on the serial numbers of the tanks that were captured. Now, of course, we don't have captured Drake 2Bs, but we have 2Bs with uh, serial numbers on them. We collected them. We got quite a good sample. And then we have uh, somebody out there in the solder smoke audience who was willing to do the uh, the math and try to calculate how many. So so um, it, I think it's been a really, really great effort. Scott, uh, K6AUS was the, the wizard who came up with the, uh, the number. Just let me see here. Move over to the, to the other computer. You can tell we're very high tech here. Let's see. I have this all up on the blog. Let's see. We had a sample. The highest number reported was 12,955. By applying the, the equation, we get an estimate of the highest number being 13,517. But then later on, we had somebody tell us that they had some information that uh, the, uh, the earliest, uh, Saunders, the earliest uh, Drake 2B, uh, they started the serial numbers at 2,000. So I guess that would put us at 11,000. What was the number that I said? Um, so about 11,500 Drake 2Bs, according to our estimates. If anybody has any different information, let me know. That sounds good to me. I mean, I think that the, the most popular 
I, I, I was reading in Chuck Penson's book about the heat kits that the most popular ham radio transceiver ever made was the Heathkit HW101. And apparently they made 40,000 of those. So I guess that's roughly consistent. There's probably more HW101s out there, significantly more. But, you know, in the 10, 20, 30, 40,000 range. The, the Drake 2B, I think, was only produced for about four years. I think probably the HW101 probably had a longer run. The, um, the Drake 2B was, I think, from 1961 to 1965. But anyway, thanks to uh, to Scott for um, letting us dig into a little bit of the uh, the Drake 2B history in in an interesting way. All right, now moving sort of to the opposite end of the technological spectrum, I um, I've been fooling around with um, Ubuntu Linux. Now I know there's a lot of you guys out there now just are groaning and saying, you know, why doesn't Bill get back to to radios and old radios and QRP? But gentlemen. This is news you can use, so please listen. Uh, Linux Ubuntu is getting better with every version. And I, as you know, have all kinds of broken and semi-broken and half-broken laptops and and PCs around the house. And uh, the other members of the family, with the exception of Billy, their first inclination is to get angry at the machines and, uh, and throw them out and buy a new one. And, of course, this goes against all of my uh, NAC, ham radio, QRP, homebrew instincts. And I have been salvaging some of these uh, broken machines using uh, Ubuntu Linux. You know, we in one of the more recent episodes, the, um, the Sony Vios laptop computer, boo, hiss, boo, Sony, um, that I fixed after Sony refused to honor its warranty. I fixed it with the, the famous um, light bulb heating up the, the, uh, the graphics chip episode. Long-term listeners will, long-time listeners will remember this, um, this famous repair story. But anyway, okay, so I fixed the hardware. Everything's going fine. But, man, it got hit with this virus that really just hosed and messed up the whole computer. Um, and I didn't feel like struggling a long time to get rid of the virus, and then only to struggle with preventing it from getting another virus and everything else. And it was a real mess. My wife said, look, I don't really care about this thing because I consider it kind of living on borrowed time anyway. So there you go. I uh, I Ubuntified it. Hi. <laughs> I made myself one of the. I put I put Ubuntu on a uh, on a thumb drive. I stuck it in there and I told the the computer to install it. And uh, I used the one of the more recent versions of Ubuntu. I think it's version ten, long term support. Man, this thing it is nice. You, I, I take I took the laptop. I stuck it out in the living room in the kitchen, and now my wife and the kids use it. And they never complain. I mean, they're diehard Mac fans, but they don't complain when they use this thing. It works fine. It's great. It surfs the web. It plays the video. It plays music. It sends and receives the email. So if you've got some dead computers or dead laptops out there that you'd like to revive and make useful and perhaps make yourself appear to your family as the technical wizard that you know you are, um, 
check out Ubuntu. It's really easy to do. You just make yourself a little CD or you put the program onto a thumb drive. You tell the computer to boot to the thumb drive and then it prompts you to whether you want to just try it out on the thumb drive or you want to in actually install it. Of course, if you do install it, you lose everything on the, uh, on the hard disk, but, well, that was okay by me. So we've got now several of these computers uh, running it uh, running on uh, Ubuntu Linux, and we're we're all quite pleased. Um, a new feature on the blog um, for some of you guys who who might want to get updates on when I put a new blog article up. Uh, there's a feature I think it's pretty neat. I know it's been around for a while, but um, I've just gotten around to putting it up on mine. And you can get an email uh, from uh, I guess from me. Every time I put up an article on the blog, if you go to the blog, it's at uh, soldersmoke.blogspot.com, you'll note that in the upper right, there's a little box where it just says, enter your email address. You put your email address in there, and then um, within a few hours of me posting an article on the Solder Smoke blog, you'll get, uh, you'll get an email um, informing you of this momentous event. So uh, um, check it out. I think you'll find that feature useful. Hey, we're real happy that uh, Chris Waldrop, KD4PBJ, has agreed to sponsor this episode of the show. Chris has started a new company that I think will provide a service that that be really useful to the uh, the solder smoke and solder melting community. And I I speak from real painful experience here, and I'll <laughs> explain that to you in a minute. Um, SMT Solutions offers both through hole and surface mount soldering assistance. Uh, Chris has been an SMT rework engineering technician in the design labs of two large cell phone companies, Sony Ericsson and Wavecom Sierra Wireless. He can do components down to the 0201 size, and he can do leadless chips such as LGAs. He's been IPC 7711 certified since 2003. Chris tells us that no job is too small, and he's happy to provide services to hams and big companies as well. He can provide quick turnaround time via FedEx account if needed and get you your product back as quickly as you need it. Um, he says here, need to mount one simple DDS chip? I can do it. Need to populate five Softrox boards? I can do that too. And he, Chris notes that, referring back to my, uh, my uh, painful experience in uh, messing up the the PC board on my frequency counter by soldering the uh, the main chip in upside down. He said, I definitely could have fixed that frequency counter chip issue in a short amount of time. Oh, Chris, I wish you'd, you'd been, been, been in business back then. I might have taken you up on it. Um, I also think that Chris would be a big help, would have been a big help to me when I was struggling with the uh, the surface mount chips on the soft rock board. That, uh, that Tony Parks sent to me. As I told you, my, my fingers are just a bit too big and I haven't developed the SMT expertise. Um, Chris can help you out with that. So check it out. Uh, it looks like a really interesting company. It's uh, You'd be helping out a fellow radio amateur and uh, and getting a service that I think could save uh, a lot of uh, a lot of hams, a lot of uh, um, frustration and, and pain <laughs> in, in dealing with... Uh, uh, getting getting some of these more complicated chips onto onto smaller and smaller boards. Uh, Chris's website is www.smt-solutions.net. Thanks a lot, Chris. Um, let's see. Ah, Whisper. You know, it wouldn't be a solder smoke episode without some mention of Whisper. The uh, 
the tropical storm Lee, by the way, it was either the tropical storm or the hurricane or the earthquake or a combination of the three. My whisper antenna has been significantly messed up. It's just a piece of wire up in the trees, and it gives me the opportunity to go out there and fire the slingshot a few more times. But uh, anyway, my whisper antenna got messed up. But I, um, I've been continuing to work kind of on and off on the, um, the whisper transceiver that I started way back in Rome. And I periodically get tired of this thing. And, you know, the HW7 made me realize that there's a benefit to working with a real radio in which you make real-time, uh, real-time QSOs, in which you can hear the background noise, in which most of the work isn't being done by the, uh, by the, by the, you know, by the computer. But anyway, I've continued to mess around with the the Whisper rig. I told you that it had been destroyed or partially destroyed by lightning, which I referred to as the stroke of luck because it opened up all these troubleshooting and repair opportunities. One of the things I did when fixing the receiver, you know, the the diode ring mixer that I had in there before got got blown away by the the voltage surge, and those things are pretty fragile. I think they have the the, uh, little Schottky diodes in there and very, very fine wire in the um, in the toroids inside those little SBL1 boxes. So um, this uh, SB, the SBL1 I had was uh, was fried. I think I got mine from um, from GMAL7RV, but I didn't have any more in the um, in the uh, junk box because I think I had fried all the rest of them I had before. <laughs> As you do. But anyway, uh, I decided to just put a really simple uh, mixer in there. I called it uh, half a polyakov. It was just just a diode mixer with energy from the VFO, uh, basically turning the diode on and off, and then the um, and mixing then in the diode with the um, with the RF coming in through one little tuned circuit, and uh, you know it works. I mean, it's not the most sensitive receiver. All the amplifications being provided in the audio chain, and there I'm using the uh, uh, the audio amplifier from. Roger KA7 EXM's, um, you know the, um, the receiver for the um, for the for the um, for the ugly weekender that he came up with, uh, but you know I, I ran it for a while and I had it up on the I had it on the uh, on the air and I had it connected to the internet and it was receiving signals and uh, and reporting them so uh, a lot of whisper spots came through using that one little diode, but I've now I, I wanted to do something else and. Uh, I came across an article as I was going out the door on the way to work one day. I reached in and grabbed the magazine, and I grabbed the um, the fall 2009 issue of QRP Quarterly. And in there was an article by a, uh, one of our regular listeners, a uh, great fellow, Jason, NT7S. And his article was um, uh, VRX1, The Soul of a New Kit. And uh, his co-author was Terry Fletcher, WA0ITP. And, um, you know, uh, uh, Jason has been trying real hard to uh, get a, a line of kits available, doing a great job. Um, I, I, I think he's going to be a real, um, he's going to provide some really great equipment to the, uh, to the ham radio world. Um, and he's been really quite open and I think, um, and, 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 uh, very remarkably candid about kind of the, the trials and tribulations of trying to create something new. But anyway, I liked his article, uh, and he talked about specifically about the uh, a simple um, 
front end for the, the VRX-1 rig that he was working on, and I was particularly attracted by his use of a single-ended MOSFET mixer. He uses a 2N7000 in his rig, and so what I'm thinking about doing is pulling that little diode out of the, um, out of the receiver that I currently have and replacing it with a very simple circuit used by, uh, by Jason NT7S in his uh, VRX-1. So uh, Jason's got a nice blog. You could check it out and just, just search for NT7S. You'll find it. Or take a look at the, uh, the uh, fall 2009 issue of QRP Quarterly. Thanks to Jason and thanks, for the, uh, thanks to the QRP ARCI guys for that, uh, that bit of inspiration and technical idea. And I'll, I'll let you know how it works out when I put that new, uh, the new front end in the receiver. Um, let's see. Ah, speaking about receivers and, and receiver design, you know, I, I've been mentioning that I'm a big, big fan of, um, an old magazine called Electric Radio. I, I used to, I used to subscribe. I have a pretty big stockpile of uh, magazines here. I got to get my subscription going again because it's a wonderful magazine. It's about old boat anchor radios and, uh, and I, I love it. And this. I'm looking now, I'm, I'm stuck back in the 1990s, because that's when, when I was subscribed to it, when we were here before, and I, I came across a number of articles, receiver articles, by a guy who was a real wizard, I mean a real, I mean his articles, they were clear, the rigs were beautiful, he was a craftsman, the construction was really, really nice, the circuitry was of his design and very eloquent, and very elegant, I'm sorry, uh, and I'm talking here about a fellow named Walt Hutchins, KJ4KV. He's got a number of articles in Electric Radio about um, receivers that he built. One called the R8040. What a what a beautiful piece of work this was. Um, a receiver that he uh, a single conversion super hat for 80 and 40. I really really liked it. But it made me think. Where is uh, Walt? Um, I saw pictures of him in in other electric radio one picture of him in another electric uh, radio magazine with a, another very well-known radio amateur in this area uh, Howard uh, Mills I think it's W3HM another real boat anchor fan and Walt he looked like he was quite a young fellow so uh, I suspect I hope he's still with us and, and I'm just wondering if he's uh, if he's continuing to melt solder or what's he doing if anybody knows where Walt is uh Please shoot me a line because I'd like to like to know. Hey, you know, um, we have a uh, an interest in in radio history here, and I've recently been commenting on um, some of the great names. It seems like uh, you know we we all through ham radio history, it it seems for some reason to attract people who have really distinctive and distinguished names. You know, Hiram Percy Maxim. That's a good one. And then um, I think recently we were talking about Merrill Budlong of Rhode Island. And then recently on the blog, we've, we've had a lot about Copthorne MacDonald. Copthorne MacDonald, what a wonderful name, a.k.a. Cop. And I came across one recently that I, it really... It almost took my breath away. I mean, I had to sit. I sit back and I sat back and took off my uh, glasses and said, "Wow!" Now, I'm sure many of you, like me, have heard this name and didn't realize 
that it was also, it was not only a brand of a radio, uh, but it was also a human being. The radios were named after the guy who manufactured them. And I'm talking here about the famous McMurdo Silver. McMurdo Silver. You know, I always thought of it as a radio. You know, you heard about Atwater Kent's. And around the same time, there was a radio called the McMurdo Silver. Actually, it was a brand of radios. They manufactured a whole line of them. But I didn't realize that it was named for the manufacturer. That's right. First name, McMurdo. Second name, Silver. Can you imagine the moment of birth? Mrs. Silver, what would you like to name the new baby? I think we'll call him McMurdo. I don't know why people did that. They don't seem to do it as much today, and I think we're we're losing something there. But uh, McMurdo Silver, not only uh, the famous radios, and I think Bing Crosby used one of the one of their more kind of their high end kind of chromed over radios for a kind of shortwave listening contest in the 1930s. But um, McMurdo Silver. Um, you know, this is this is this is a point where I have kind of a professional interest. Uh, but he, uh, the the famous base that we have in Antarctica, McMurdo Station. You guys have heard of McMurdo. McMurdo was one of those places that we were always trying to work when we were kids, and it was it's right there near the Ross Sea in Antarctica, near McMurdo Bay, and it's it's named for McMurdo Silver. Who knew? Apparently, um, McMurdo Silver provided the uh, radio gear for one of the big uh, exploratory expeditions during the 1930s. And as his reward, they named this one um, bay after him. And that's where they eventually decided to construct one of the most important uh, scientific bases in Antarctica, our McMurdo Base. Anyway, just thought I'd share that with you. McMurdo Silver, apparently, very interesting guy. Um, All kinds of adventures, a a prolific writer, uh, an interesting personality, a real character. Um, The problem, though, you know, the problem is that if you try to Google him, as I did, you get so many hits about the radios, it's hard to kind of dig through them and find the articles that are about the person. But if anybody comes across a good bio on, uh, on, on, on McMurdo Silver, please let me know because I'd like to read more about this fella. Uh, sadly, um, like um, uh, Howard Armstrong, he, um, he uh, took, took his own life in his, in his, um, earlier than I think that Armstrong did, he, and apparently in his, in his mid-40s. Uh, things apparently weren't going well for him at that point. But So a sad end there, but... Uh, what an interesting character. Uh, um, and, uh, well, three cheers for McMurdo Silver. What a great name. Um, the Sputnik Project. The Sputnik Project uh, continues. Um, Michael, AA1TJ, I'm referring to him in, in this context as uh, Comrade Mikhail, and, or the great designer, or the chief designer. I always thought that was cool. The chief designer, Comrade Mikhail. Uh, has distributed a number of uh, kits containing uh, the uh, the old Soviet tubes that were used in the Sputnik 1 uh, transmitter. Uh, 
Steve Snortrosen Smith out there on the left coast uh, is also involved in this caper, as are some radio amateurs in in Germany, a few Russians. It's a real kind of international brotherhood of electronic wizards kind of project. And they're shooting for October the 4th. And Michael was kind enough to send me a, a, a set of parts, but I, I think it went to one of my older addresses. So now it's it's somewhere either in the Azores or London or Rome. And I'm sure one of those places will send it back to me. I hope it gets here in time because I would like to, to participate and help um, put these kind of old rigs on the air. Um, I, uh, I think it's a great project. It's been really interesting trying to figure out, you know, uh, what circuitry they used. We were, as far as I could tell, never able to find a real working spare. Apparently there are a lot of kind of models of the rig that were sent around during the, um, the days of the Soviet Union, but we found almost all of them to be empty shells with no real um, electronic innards in there you know that's the way it was back in the bad old days but um i think our um, intrepid radio building heroes have a good idea of what kind of circuit they would use so i think october 4th is the day that they're going to take these rigs onto 15 meters and uh, shake up the ether in a way that it hasn't been shaken up since the international geophysical year igy by the way, guys, I am—I will be completing yet another orbit of the Earth, speaking of IGY, uh, uh, this week. So uh, <laughs> I mentioned that in the context of, of IGY. Hey, uh, okay, what else do I want to talk about here? Ah, you know, I mentioned electronic electric radio, and I've been digging through electric radio old editions, and I came across one, and this, this, this is the kind of thing... I knew, I forgot, I'd completely forgotten about this. But in uh, December 1998, Electric Radio number 116, picture of old man Ken uh, Kaltoff, K8AXH on the cover, pound and brass on a very fine looking Heath Kit station that he's got there in his parents' house, no doubt. But at this point, around 1998, the great Lou McCoy, W1ICP, one of the real heroes of uh, of ham radio and and home brewing and uh, and, uh, and and the AWRL. I mentioned a while back that Lou, in one of his uh, reminiscence articles called "Looking Back," wrote about his uh, connections with uh, Ernest Hemingway. <laughs> Who knew? But um, this in this article, I'm looking through, and I get I get to open up the electric radio, and I start scrolling through it, and you know this one is about a project that I was involved in. Um, I wrote an article for uh, Electric Radio back in November 1998 called uh, uh, Midget in a Lunchbox, Tales of a Reborn Sixer. And what it was is I had taken one of Lou McCoy's old articles from April 1966 and had used the the carcass of a Heathkit Benton Harbor Lunchbox six meter transceiver as the um as a way to avoid the uh the hated metal work and i had built this little tube type receiver using three 68 tubes um and i wrote up a little article about it but and then lou saw it and decided that he was going to reminisce about this 
and he talked about the transmitter that he first designed, and then it's, and then he said, quote, this rig led in turn to a receiver, the mighty midget, which appeared in the April 1966 QST. It was described very well in the last issue of ER, November 1998, Midget in a Lunchbox by Bill Mara, N2CQR. As a result of that article, I received a considerable number of emails and letters. In order to respond to the questions, I had to revisit the original article. Anyway, then Lou goes in and describes it, and I was just thinking, what an honor. I mean, well, that's great. I mean, I, 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 I guess I read it back in December 1998, but um, the kids must have been, let's see, Billy was about one year old at that point, and I was busy, <laughs> so I never really focused on it. Now, Lou has, of course, passed away since then, but, uh, geez, I, I was really pleased to see that. You know, it made me think also there's another Solder Smoke listener out there, Grayson, our man in Ankara, not Istanbul, our man in Ankara, Grayson. Um, I was looking through, and I, if Grayson, if you're listening, I think you were mentioned in one of Lou McCoy's articles too, and I can't find it. I'll try to dig it up, but I know you're a real electric radio fan, and uh, anyway, I, uh, I, uh, I, 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 I'm, sh- I'm sure you remember it. If you didn't, make sure you dig through the old editions because I think I saw you mentioned there too. So anyway, uh, that's, uh, I guess that's part of our, our um, ham radio history segment for, for this, this edition of Sonner Smoke. Um, let's see, guys. I, I think that brings us to, yeah, it's time for Sonner Smoke Mailbag. That's awesome. All right, looking into the mailbag here. Let's see what we got. Um, got a number of emails about uh, Heathkit being back in business. Bert, our man out there at the uh, University of Virginia, uh, asks, is it true? Could it be true? Yeah, I hear they're back, but I'm not, I'm not sure whether they're going to be making HW7s and DX100s. We, uh, that might be too much to ask. Uh, I mentioned Steve Smith. Steve WB6TNL, uh, a.k.a. Snort Rosin Smith, talks about a NASA satellite falling to Earth, and he, he yells out that he's watching and, and waiting on the left coast. He's got his catcher's mid out. I've got it. I've got it. Good luck with that, Steve. Always good to hear from you. Um, ah, Bill Howell uh, very kindly sent me a gizmo. Bill is... Uh, I'll get the call here. Uh, N5AB and Bobby, his wife, K5ALO, sent me a really nice thing. They told me it was going to be a gizmo. I wasn't quite sure. And it's this beautiful little kind of um, like the coal miners used to have a, I guess, or, or the doctors used to have a lamp that you could put on, strap around your head. It's got little LED lights on it and uh, goes right on your forehead there and the, the lamp points wherever you're looking. You know, uh I got to say, uh, Bill and Bobby, this thing really came in handy because I had it. Sometimes I use it in the shack. Um, Billy used it when the, he was out running around playing capture the flag with his friends here in the neighborhood. And during the dark days of the, uh, of the, of the hurricane and the tropical storm, I had it on top of my, uh, my helmet there on the, bike, on the bike trail. So thanks very much, Bobby and, and Bill, for that. I really appreciate it. Let's see uh, what else. Um, George, let's see, George K4GFA 
asks about what kind of uh, packet program I'm using on the Roadkill computer. I, you know, I just I just fired up the Roadkill computer and put it in terminal mode with the uh, with the TNC. I think PackTerm was a uh, the program that came with the TNC, uh, George. But there's a lot of things that you could use, and I think you, you could even use the terminal program um, in the uh, 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 that that uh, that comes with with Windows or probably the terminal that comes with Ubuntu or or anything like that. Um, anyway, uh, thanks for your for your email and good luck with your uh, listening for the for the satellites there, uh, George. We still get reports of uh, the uh, Arasat two uh, being active, and uh, I've heard it a couple of times breaking squelch here. So uh, I hope the guys who are running that continue to have good luck. Let's see what other mail we got here. Don Kelly sends me a, sends me an email about how the new Mars rover Curiosity is going to land on Mars. I think we had that up on the blog. Um, uh, what makes a radio? This one, this one I put up on the blog. I got a nice email with beautiful pictures of the Drake 2B from Harv WA3EIB out there in Albuquerque, and he was the one who told us about the uh, the serial numbers beginning with 2000. And man, he has got a really beautiful mint. 2B. I got the pictures of it up on the blog. Check it out. It's real uh, old radio eye candy here, guys. Uh, what else we have? Um, do, 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 scrolling through the thing here. Um, ah, yeah. The um, the fellow that I talked to um, on the radio with the HW7 and uh, uh, Bert WA3WAW. He talks about some of the mods that he made on his HW7 years ago. Uh, thanks for that info there um oh man that was really really, really a nice QSO. let's see um uh, jeff steves wrote to me ah this was a nice one uh jeff ve9 jjs wrote that he had been getting ready to go on a vacation trip this summer to new york city when he heard my uh my travelogue section from um uh from the last solder smoke in which i talked about our trip to new york city and he said that uh, he actually visited this uh, elevated railroad line, the High Line uh, Park that I had mentioned, and he was able to get some APRS posts, uh, VE9JJS-14, along the park route. I think Steve Smith had asked me whether anybody had, had put that, uh, that location on the air, and uh, there you have our answer, Steve. Yes, Jeff, VE9JJS did that. Thanks for sharing that with us, Jeff. And I'm glad that uh, that was probably the most practical use that a solder smoke episode has ever been put to. Got an email from um, John Zaruba. He is the, uh, the the fellow who gave me the DX100 and K2ZA. And John, don't worry that that DX100 is going to be a wintertime project. I'm going to get that back on the air. John was involved in uh, in uh, emergency coordination efforts for the uh, for Hurricane Irene in New Jersey and sent around an email about um, how to uh, how they were going to you know, conduct uh, emergency operations in his area. I hope that all went well for you, John, and uh, it's great that you're involved in that, that part of the hobby. Um, let's see what else we have here in the uh, in the mailbox. Uh, ah, yeah, we got um, an email about a cool new radio drama. Um, and uh, it comes to us from, from Dale, W9DKB. I put the link up there. It's kind of a kind of a radio fiction from Jim French Productions from back in the 1970s, and I listened to it and found it quite interesting. 
I think you guys would, would like it too. So take a look at the blog and you'll find the link there. Um, Leaf, KC8RWR, sent us a, a relay to us, something that was on Hackaday. And this was somebody who had taken the, um, um, the cream of tartar idea about uh, making your own piezoelectric crystals and actually turned it into a, a working uh, microphone. You guys will recall that this was my uh, April 2010 um, April Fool's joke. Uh, and once again, I have been kind of hoisted on my own petard, as they say, because what I presented as um, possibly ridiculous has been proven to be at least uh, marginally practical. <laughs> and some guy went ahead and did homebrew his own piezoelectric crystals and did use it as a as a microphone. So I've got to be careful. I you know I, I talked to Michael AA1TJ about this particular joke, and he very wisely uh, told me that he thought that it it really wasn't uh, a, a joke and that it could be done. And here we go, right? You are Michael, because as Leaf points out, somebody out there did it, and I have a a, a link and a picture up on the uh, on the blog page. That was that was kind of fun. Yeah, let's see. And then, okay, just let's see. <laughs> I got <laughs> this one was funny. I got a uh, I got an email from another regular contributor here, uh, Brent KD zero uh, GLS, and he uh, he initially uh, addresses me as uh, a GP, and it was only for one brief second that I couldn't figure out what he was. Uh, why he was doing that, and of course, he's using the uh, the honorific Grand Poobah. Uh, <laughs> he he asked for help in listening to the Arasat one or Arasat two satellite, um, however they designated it, and asked why he wasn't able to receive it. I tried to give him some pointers, and then he managed to succeed. So, um, thanks to the advice from the Grand Poobah, uh, Brent out there in Minneapolis was able to. Uh, Listen to the spaceship. Uh, good to hear from you, Brent. Uh, feel free to consult anytime. <laughs> That's part of the responsibilities that come with Grand Poobah status. Um, let's see. Uh, what do we have here? Ah, uh, yeah, you know, uh, Mike, uh, the guy who sent me the HW7, um, uh, sent me a really nice uh, email about his early adventures uh, with uh, with ham radio, he also loved the book. He he sent me this really really nice email about how much he enjoyed uh, solder smoke the book, and also shared with us a story that, that I, I think probably resonated with uh, uh, with many out there. He said uh, while I was reading about your struggles with etching your own PC boards, it reminded me of my ex first experience with etching solution. My buddy etched boards before and told me all you had to do was draw what you wanted with a Sharpie on a copper PC board and throw it in some solution and rock it back and forth a bit, and it works like magic. So unknowingly, we put the solution in a pie tin and placed the board in it. It immediately started boiling and put off an orange smoke. I said, neat. And before my buddy could tell me it was not supposed to do that, it ate through the bottom of the pie tin. What a mess. My mom wasn't happy. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> anyway, thanks for sharing that that with us, Mike. And uh, I'm sure uh, 
I'm sure your mom's forgiven you. Let's see. Um, what else we got? Uh, um, Grayson. Yeah, I mentioned Grayson before. Um, let's see. Yeah, Grayson's call is KJ7UM stroke TA2 in Ankara, not in uh, Istanbul, as I was saying before. Istanbul just sounds a lot cooler, doesn't it? But Ankara is pretty cool. Grayson, OM Grayson's been having a tough time over there. It's um, the local authorities apparently were really, really freaked out by his uh, his putting up antennas. And uh, <laughs> apparently there was at one point a, uh, a late night police raid and uh, and subsequent surveillance. Uh, apparently they're just not used to uh, to ham radio, and especially by foreigners in Ankara. So, Grayson, we hope you, you managed to stay out of the slammer there, uh old man and let us know if there's anything we can do to help um let's see got some other mail here you know uh uh, i heard from farhan in in india he sent me a real nice email glad to hear that he's he's doing well and keeping busy and he's been working on coming up with a uh an inexpensive and simple spectrum analyzer um that was good i also heard from from west w7zoi a um, a fellow uh, who um, in Italy that uh, that lived fairly close to me in a place called Civita Vecchia um, had had sent Wes some pictures of his home brew rigs. This was Fabio. I know Fabio. Uh, I know his work very well, and I uh, I took the pictures and put them up on the um, on the website. So Wes, for thanks for passing that along, and and Fabio, congratulations on the really. Uh, uh, beautiful rigs guys i think that brings us i'm looking at the, the the clock here the clock is ticking we're at about the one hour mark so that's that 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 means that's the end of uh solder smoke 137 i hope uh hope you all have a great fall um the kids are back in school billy and maria are doing real well they started school this week and uh frankly they're happy to get back and and doing doing real real well we have uh my mother-in-law is here with us from the from the Dominican Republic, so Lisa's having a good time visiting with her, as we all are. You know, things are just going real well, and I hope things go well for, for all of you. Uh, 7-3 from Northern Virginia. Ciao, bravi ragazzi. This episode of Sada Smoke has been brought to you by SMT Solutions. Check them out, www.smt-solutions.net. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. 
Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at CafePress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support.